the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, Monday, November 28th, 2022. I just got a very odd email um, from uh, someone promoting an interview um, that they're doing with three people I would not interview. It's odd. It's um, Anyway, we'll talk about it a little bit later. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. I hope you all had a Great holiday. I'm not sure if any of you had this experience over the past four or five days or so, but discussion after discussion at gathering or get-together after gathering or get-together, even among typically non-political people or people who don't talk politics much in public, I heard a constant vocalized theme, worry, concern, series of worries and concerns about China. Everything from its growing power to its own domestic crackdowns and human rights abuses, the protests that are taking place, of course, over the last several days that we've uh, become aware of, and its influ- also its influence on and in America. I'm used to hearing these things from guests on the show and obviously callers, not in social gatherings like I've witnessed like this over the past week or so, almost as if the old idea that knowledge is not important when it's been discovered, for many of us have been talking about this for a long time now, decades, but really when it's been received or acknowledged or recognized, almost as if it takes you, you know, 30 hearings of a commercial to finally kind of get it or pay attention or maybe the point that repetition truly is the, the essence of pedagogy, that something about it seemed to have been taking hold in a way I hadn't noticed in social gatherings before. Hold that thought. As I give you these two summaries, first from Scott Johnson, quote, protests are breaking out in China based on their zero covid policies. Traditional news outlets with reporters in China have their uses here. The Reuters story is Dateline Shanghai, Beijing and reads China tightens security after rare protests against covid curbs. Uh, with a story under three bylines and three contributors, statelined Beijing, the Wall Street Journal reports, quote, Chinese protests spread over government's COVID restrictions. The AP story is from Beijing and seems lost in a cloud of government edicts. Quote, China affirms zero COVID stance, eases rules after protest. Uh, the New York Post editors add, quote, fury over China's insane, endless COVID lockdowns exposes the idiocy of President Xi. It's a bit stronger, isn't it? That's um, that's a summary from Scott Johnson. Jordan Schachtel writes, quote, millions of brave Chinese nationals have taken to the streets this month in opposition to the maniacal years long COVID zero policies implemented by the Chinese Communist Party. COVID-0, the pseudoscientific attempt to eliminate a submicroscopic infectious particle from within the boundaries of a nation, has resulted in devastation and ruin to the citizens of China. Much of China's 1.4 billion strong population has spent a significant amount of time since 2020 stuck in rolling lockdowns. Sadly, 
The lockdowns have become a point of national pride for the CCP, showcasing Chinese compliance with tyranny as evidence of cultural superiority and ethnic supremacy. By the way, let me pause for a moment and just point out, do you remember when people in this country were saying such stupid things as we could eliminate COVID here too? Oh, if everyone just got vaccinated or if everyone just – anyway, we have our problems with that too. It's not necessarily always from Chinese government worrisome when people start aping and sounding like the Chinese government around here. Schachtel does go on to say, but finally, after years of horrendous abuses, some have understandably had enough. He does note that most of the scenes of protesters, interestingly, show them wearing masks outdoors, which he postulates is not to disguise really from the Chinese overlords, but as it, it wouldn't make a lot of sense given that China has or is the most sophisticated social surveillance country in the world. If they want to, quote unquote, unmask you, they'll unmask you. But he does continue the widespread mask usage is more indicative of a people who have bought into the deadly virus narrative. It showcases subservience to both collectivism and statism. Already a pre-COVID staple of Chinese culture, the mask now represents the recognition of personal obedience and compliance for the greater good. The Chinese protesters, by and large, don't seem to want what they interpret as a radical idea of freedom, but just a more functional tyranny. China's protest movement is far different from the situation occurring, let's say, in Iran right now, where protesters actually despise the regime. They reject its values and view the governing authorities as illegitimate in China. Protesters are opposing the COVID zero fanaticism because they've taken the tyranny just a little too far. The Chinese social contract is uniquely separate from the classical Western social contract. In China, there's a widespread understanding that authoritarianism is a necessary structure for a functioning and powerful middle kingdom, let us say. From an early age, Chinese nationals are propagandized to accept and embrace statism as a good thing because it protects order. To the modern Chinese man, Beijing's evolution from a third world country to a global superpower is understood as evidence of a successful authoritarian regime. It seems that Chinese citizens aren't demanding freedom, just a little less tyranny, close quote. I think this is worrisome or should be worrisome here. To repeat that line of Jordan Schachtel's, quote, the widespread mask usage is more indicative of a people who have bought into the deadly virus narrative. It showcases subservience to both collectivism and statism, already a pre-COVID staple of Chinese culture. The mask now represents the recognition of personal obedience and compliance to the greater good. Keep that in mind. It's amazing to me how much closer in the rearview mirror are the objects than they appear to be. We seem to have buried or blurred or forgotten an awful lot from the last two and one years ago. I was watching a movie over the weekend written and directed and starring Katie Holmes. I, I, I don't recommend it. It just was too simple and predictable and unimaginative. But it did detail a few people's lives in 2020 when COVID broke out here. And it was a hell of a refresher course in just how much subservience to certain narratives there were. Throughout, I mean, throughout the movie, and I have no idea if this was meant as ironic or not, but throughout the movie, audio of Governor uh, Andrew Cuomo's press conferences kept playing, almost as if it was theme or scene music. 
on and on about how awful things were, how unprepared the government was, how lacking in resources they were, how important it was to get PPE and ventilators and how important it was that we keep doing everything from isolating ourselves to isolating others. Interesting thing I thought might happen at the end. You've seen this in other movies. The movie didn't have one of those things you see at the end where you get an update on on where everyone is now, what has transpired since the movie was made, how things shook out in the lives you just kind of watched. Not on Cuomo being ousted, not on all his uh, Jeremiads being mostly false, not on all the science we learned was questionable at best and manipulated as we all now know. Or do we all now know? Alicia Finley has a great column in the Wall Street Journal on what seems like Anthony Fauci's third or fourth retirement tour here. Will no one rid us of this meddlesome priest? At a press conference last week, Fauci said, quote, the people who have correct information, who take science seriously, who don't have strange way out theories about things, but who base what they say on evidence and data need to speak up more. Because the other side that just keeps putting out misinformation and disinformation seems to be tireless in that effort. Close quote. Strange way out theories. You can only guess who he had in mind. Those who argued COVID likely leaked from a Chinese lab? Opposed lockdowns in favor of focusing the protection on the most vulnerable? Questioned the science of mask mandates and said schools should remain open since children were at low risk of illness? He went on to say, given his long, vast career, COVID will really just be a fragment. Alicia says it's the fragment that will be most remembered. By the way, you know where he is on masks when he's denying and school closures when he's denying he was responsible for them, don't you? Yeah, if he was proud of that, he wouldn't be in the denial business or in the memory holding business, right? But let's start with his dissembling on masks, shall we? Alicia does a good job. When the virus began to spread in the U.S., he advised... NBC, quote, there's no reason to be walking around with a mask. He later reversed himself and acknowledged his earlier guidance was based on worries that there wouldn't be enough masks for healthcare workers. In other words, he used his expertise to tell an expedient lie, used his expertise to give the wrong answer for the wrong reason. Weeks later, he endorsed universal masking, even though studies showed cloth masks don't protect against other respiratory viruses, and there was little evidence they would do so against COVID. Over time, it became clear that COVID was spreading through aerosols, tiny particles that cloth and surgical masks do a poor job of filtering out. So what did Dr. Fauci do? Anyone remember? Wasn't that long ago. He recommended double masking, for which there was scant evidence. If you have a physical covering with one layer, you put another layer on, it just makes common, common sense that it likely would be more effective, he told NBC News. Yet common sense also suggested lockdowns wouldn't work. When China locked down its Wuhan region in January 2020, Dr. Fauci expressed doubts in an interview with CNN. Quote, historically, when you shut things down, it doesn't have a major effect, close quote, he said. Here, too, Dr. Fauci swiftly reversed his position. The initial call by Trump public health officials for 15 days to slow the spread in March 2020 stretched it to two years. As Dr. Fauci invoked one virus flare up after another to argue for keeping the restrictions. Some scientists in the fall of 2020 offered an alternative strategy of 
focused protection for the elderly and high-risk patients in a document called the Great Barrington Declaration. It read, quote, adopting measures to protect the vulnerable should be the central aim of public health responses to COVID-19. Those who are not vulnerable should immediately be allowed to resume life as normal, the declaration read. Dr. Fauci worked with then NIH Director Francis Collins to take down the declaration. Quote, this proposal from the three fringe epidemiologists seemed to be getting a lot of attention and even a co-signature from a Nobel Prize winner, Mike Levitt, at Stanford, Dr. Collins wrote to Dr. Fauci in an email. There needs to be a quick and devastating published takedown of its premises, he continued. The two subsequently did multiple media interviews denouncing the strategy in an effort to chill the discussion, the debate. It's all nonsense, Dr. Fauci told ABC. Dr. Fauci also dismissed the hypothesis that the virus leaked from a lab, perhaps to protect his agency, which helped fund gain-of-function virus research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Researchers who have studied the virus's genetic sequence say it most likely leaked from the lab, but without assistance from China, this may be impossible to ever prove. Yet in an interview with Wired magazine this month, Dr. Fauci implied that those who disagree are ignorant or malicious. Quote, I believe that anybody who studies this situation can't in a good conscience say that the lab leak is the most likely explanation, close quote. During last week's conference, press conference, White House Press Secretary Karen Jean-Pierre slapped down reporters who asked Dr. Fauci about the virus's origins and lab leak investigation. How dare anyone question Dr. Fauci's expertise and judgment? If you don't agree with him, you don't believe in science. He said that. Quote, it's easy to criticize, but they're really criticizing science because I represent science, and that's dangerous, close quote, Dr. Fauci said last November. But open debate and inquiry is the essence of the scientific method, isn't it? Oh, my gosh. Physician, heal thyself. We didn't even get into his dissembling on herd immunity and the admission he made stating he deliberately misled, misled the public on it, on it, grounds seemingly to me in a more accountable and just world for his immediate firing. But that was two years ago now, and the accountability, it strikes me, will be running in the other direction. This past summer, did you see this? A Little Golden Book. Remember Little Golden Books? Still around. Little Golden Book for Children was published, titled Dr. Fauci. Its publisher says, quote, it's, this was only this summer, quote, it's an inspiring read aloud for young children, the publisher states, and it's Rated in the 60s for children's books on science, meaning of all the books in the world Amazon sells for children, how many hundreds of thousands involving science, only 60 are doing better than the book about him. So, yeah, when I hear about all I'm now beginning to hear about regarding concerns over China, I go back to those chilling words of Jordan Schachtel's above about the population in China quote, subservience to both collectivism and statism and the recognition of personal obedience and compliance to the greater good. There's active infiltration, to be sure, a national security threat and concern. But there's also welcome subservience to collectivism and statism that really ought to worry us even more. The joy of compliance to the greater good from a people that have moved from live free or die and As he died to make men holy, we shall die to make men free and better dead than red. That's what we were. We're now, well, any fear-based model of revolution for the greater good, especially informed by once alien philosophies, 
even if the revolution is, shall we say, mostly peaceful, it's happening here. Turns out it isn't quite true that the quest for freedom beats in every human heart, as a lot of us liked to fool ourselves. It's just we thought it did here. Also normalcy. Also common sense. I'm Seth Leibson, 602-508-0960. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. You know, I was just, someone sent me this. It's worth playing. You, you, you'll recall this, 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 this debate over trans issues, trans, trans, uh, transgender issues. How long ago, Bill, do you remember when Dennis Prager pointed out this on the Bill Maher show and he got laughed at? Is it two years ago about? And... Um, and, you know, he was saying, you know, the lies, the lies of the left concern me much more than, you know, the lies that Donald Trump tells about the size of his inaugural. I mean, it's much more impactful. And Bill Maher said, like, what kind of lies? And Dennis said that men menstruate would be one. And everyone laughed at him. He said, no one's saying that. No one's saying that. Well, look how fast two years was. Ben Shapiro, you may remember, he, he was early on to this, too, to his credit. I remember a particular debate. He was having with a, uh, I guess it's a, a a transgendered woman. That means he was born a male, but now carries himself as a woman. And Ben was denying that this could be the case. And the man threatened. It was I forget what form it was. The man threatened to send Ben to the hospital. They were sitting right there together. And this man or woman was obviously a much bigger person. Anyway, Ben um, Ben had this discussion uh, today media are desperately trying to spin away from a story they created for themselves in Colorado. Uh, a, a deranged individual shot up a gay nightclub last week, and um, the entire media decided that was because of Tucker Carlson, Libs of TikTok, Matt Walsh, and me. And because people who oppose same-sex marriage and or bizarre drag shows that target children and, and, and the trancing of the children, if you oppose those things, apparently you're responsible for a deranged person shooting up a gay club. Then it turns out that the person who shot up the gay club identifies as non-binary. And so this has become very awkward for the media. It led to this particularly awkward exchange on CNN when a CNN contributor named Natalie Bingham, who is a dude, says that um, you can tell that the person claiming non-binary identity is not not non-binary just by looking at a picture of him, which I'm not aware is is a standard that we are supposed to be using. Are we supposed to be able to just look at people now and tell what sex they are? Because then I have some questions for Natalie the attorneys for the shooter um, are now saying that the shooter is non-binary and the shooter, the shooter uh, would like to use the pronouns they, them. And this is for the court in all court papers. I think that's um, complete ludicrous. <laughs> um, I believe they're just saying that because they want to have um, the easy way out on this. Um, that's really, really um, offending, especially being a transgender woman myself, that a male, which it was obvious with the mugshot, that's a man, that's not a non-binary person because in no way, shape, or form could they appear as a woman the next day. Is that the standard now? Do we get to apply that standard? That if I can look at this picture and tell that Natalie Bingham is a dude, and Natalie Bingham's a dude? That sounds like 
Natalie is now on my side of the, the argument, which means... Brilliant. Now, now, now they're on his side of the argument. It takes about two years and they come around. They don't know it. They don't want it. But they do because there's still this thing called logic and common sense. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show and John Dombrowski. He is the president and founder of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. His website, easy enough, grandcanyonplanning.com. He also has a radio show here every Saturday morning at 7 a.m., the word on wealth. And he joins us for our culture and economy update. John, hope you had a good holiday and back in the saddle and everything. All good. I'm back and ready to go. Uh, a couple of things. I, I, first of all, I, I've seen like a three stories today. Is the, is the, is the real estate boom? Is it, is it, is the, is there, are there some pins in that balloon now? Is that, is that kind of over now a little bit? Looks like a lot of these housing prices are coming down in a way that, it looks like a lot of stories are showing up on this, but uh, no question about yeah, it, Seth. Yeah. We're, we're seeing a pullback in real yeah. estate values. Obviously, went up fast and hard, huh? Went up fast, and obviously, uh, things go up as fast; they yeah. come down just yeah. as fast yeah. at times. Yeah. Uh, but I would, again, I, I, I'm a believer that long term, if you're a long term holder of, of your real estate, that things will get better at some point, as they always do. We go through these cycles. Yeah. If you think about the financial crisis, sure. the last major crisis we had, 2007 and eight, real estate values plummeted you know, 40 50 60% in some cases in some of the hardest hit areas. Uh, but if you look at where we are today, values have far surpassed what it was then. Now, that was, of course, you know, 15, 16 years ago. But, um, again, if you own your own home right now, doesn't matter if the value of your house has gone down a little bit because you're living in it. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. You're getting you're getting something with this yeah. asset. And if you have uh, yeah. a rental property, it's yeah. the same scenario. The challenge is, is if you're a home buyer right now, right? Uh, you know, you may be able to get a bargain on the price, but you're going to be paying higher interest rates. Yeah. So if you're a cash buyer, all the better for you right now. You know, it's a weird thing. The the economy is right. Your trajectory, you're always right to remind us on the trajectory of economies for the long haul. You can't say the same about politics. You know, we thought socialism was the ash heap after all. And here I see the president, goodness gracious, gosh knows, this is really odd. Chevron gets U.S. license to pump oil in Venezuela again. Yeah. We're going back to Venezuela for our needs that we have right here. We can't do it here. But we'll go to these socialist countries and ask them to bail us out. What a weird, weird thing, John. Yeah, you know, and we're not really getting anything for it. Yeah. You know, we're going to be paying, you know, whatever the market price is for oil. Yeah. Of course, when President Trump was in office, he said, hey, if we're going to, you know, do something, we want to get paid, you know, maybe in a reduction in oil price back. You know, buy, we'll buy some oil from some of these nations, but at a reduced price. Uh, there was a way to get paid back for some of the things that we did to help these countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this case, we're getting nothing right. other than you know more more oil, obviously, yep. to the world, not right. just to the U.S. Right. Uh, but we are a country that has all these resources, and we're not tapping them. And I think that's part of what this uh, story talked about yeah. here. Uh, if they would have just stuck with what was in place prior to the Biden administration getting into office, all of these things that are happening out there when it comes to 
uh, fossil fuels, uh, we wouldn't have a challenge here in this country. We wouldn't see gas prices at $5 a gallon. Uh, we wouldn't have had the interruption that we had uh, when Russia invaded Ukraine. Uh, there are so we'd many things. We'd have more we employment. Could... Uh, we'd have, yes, absolutely. We would have probably a less of a supply chain mm-hmm. issue. Yep. Uh, we would have lower prices, and we wouldn't be enriching socialist opponents yep. exactly or enemies. Right. Yep. It's a really, I mean, the rarely can you look at a policy and say there's about 10 things wrong with it. Yeah. Here you can. It's, oh, absolutely. Here you can. I'm with you. Um, talk to me about this trend. America's debt burden. Mm-hmm. Wages, 5% growth falling behind the consumer price uh, index or inflation, which is 8% growth. Right. Talk to me a little bit about yeah. that. We, we've been talking a little bit about the, yeah. the concern over the increasing credit card balances. Uh, in in America here, we have currently 925 billion in the third quarter of 2022. According, this is according to um, the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. Uh-huh. That's a 38 billion dollar jump from the prior quarter. So, and this is an increase year over year of a 15 percent increase. And this is the largest they're saying jump uh, year over year in more than 20 years. So this isn't a first, Seth. But we have to go all the way back to 1999, and that was during that tech bubble. I remember that. That yeah, that yes. burst was not good. Right, and that was a worse big, than people remember it. I think big hit to the market, yeah. and it was a big hit to a lot of. That was you know you talk about a balloon. Yeah. A real, you're talking about a real estate bubble. Well, this was a, a tech bubble, yeah. and anything with the dot com after it uh, was just rising, doubling every day in value. Couldn't sustain that, of course, and once it blew. Uh, that bubble was burst, and boy, the markets just collapsed, and it took a decade for them to recover from that. Yeah, I'm not saying we're in that position no. right now, and there is some much better, um, you know, credit uh, uh, reform that had been put in place. But boy, well, people have to be very careful. You know, right watch now. the indices, watch the warning signs, watch, watch the, the warning. Yellow Don't lights. overextend yeah. yourself yeah. right now. I know yeah. we want to buy every everything for everybody during the Christmas holiday, yeah. but hey, you know what? Let's let's get together and share a meal. Well, even a meal's more. I'm going to put that quote to the people I end up disappointing. I'm taping this, John. <laughs> John Dombrowski said I didn't have to buy you that expensive of a gift. <laughs> hey, just get together. Let's just uh, share a glass of wine okay. or a, gl- a bottle of wine. I'm in. God All right. Bless you, John. Securities and advisory services offered through Creative One Securities LLC, a member of FINRA, Reciprocate and Investment Advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Creative One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Thank you, Seth. Thank you, John. Bye-bye. Thank you. I'm Seth Leibson, 602. 508960. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. If you are worried about stock market volatility, uh, Y-Refi has an investment in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return not tied to the stock market. It's a portfolio where you'll know what each monthly statement will look like with no surprises. Your interest is compounded daily. You're paid monthly. There are no fees. You can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you choose, and there's no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. It's a portfolio where you'll know what um, what what each statement will look like. No surprises. It's a secure collateralized portfolio, and the high interest rate is up to 10.25%. That's right. It's up to 10.25% rate of return. A due diligence approved firm. Why Refi can be looked at by going to investyrefi.com. That's the word invest, the letter Y, then R-E-F-Y.com. They're great guys. Uh, if you want to give them a call, 888-YREFI-34. 
They won't give you a sales pitch. They leave that to Larry Elder and me. 888-Y-REFI-34. You can um, do well by doing good with these guys. They just love doing what they're doing, and they love talking about it. And uh, if you're in the market for that sort of thing, you will love them too. Mike is in Maricopa. Hello, Mike. Yes, good afternoon, Seth. How was your Thanksgiving? Just lovely. How was yours? It was good. It was quiet. It was peaceful. Just me and my wife, or my wife and I, and no hectic ups and downs. And we had plenty of dogs that were uh, enjoying in our Thanksgiving meal. What kind of dogs are we talking about? Oh, we have all kinds of dogs. I have from little tiny chihuahuas up to uh, an akbash. It's a big white dog. They use it for farming or herding sheep. It's from Turkey. No kidding. Pretty good sized dog, about 150 pounds. Oh, yeah, that's a good size. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good size. But anyway, anyway, there, there's been a lot of this stuff. You know, there's a lot of filters sheep. in life, you know, filters in life as to um, as to uh, is this couple going to get along? Will these people have anything in common? Um, are these good people? I, and everyone has their own test, Mike. You know, you know what my test is? Uh, rare, rare is the time have I ever known someone who had a dog that I didn't get along with. It's a pretty good test. Yes. It's a Absolutely. pretty good filter. When you have somebody that comes over and visits and your dog gives them the hurr, <laughs> you know, dogs are usually a better gauge of human personality than uh, humans sometimes can be. Norman Podhoritz once know. said, um, if you tell me where someone is on abortion, I can, with 80% accuracy, tell you where they are and everything else. If you tell me where someone is on dog ownership, I can pretty much tell you I'm going to get along with them. Pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. Absolutely. With with all this talk lately, I know, well, it went on well before the election, impending rail strike. Oh, no, it's going to paralyze the nation and et cetera, et cetera. Then it kind of went away, and there's the speculation that President Biden and then John pierre was over here. Oh, no, he's not directly. He is directly, et cetera. We've all heard the clips and everything, so I'm not going to repeat that. But today I was going through... Um, some of my library, and I've got a Funkin' Wagnall encyclopedia. Oh, how fun. And it's, yes, it's the 1992 yearbook, but it was the events from 1991. Uh-huh. Now, I don't recall this because I was in uh, Iraq and Saudi Arabia back in 1990 and 1991. Yes, sir. But as I was flipping through this book, and it's something kind of caught my eye there's a picture of a bunch of uh, locomotives that are parked and people holding signs and it's the freight stopped moving on railroads across the united states when members of 11 rail unions including these strikers in cicero illinois went on strike on april 17th Hmm. the prospect of nation national paralysis was averted when congress quickly passed back to work legislation. Then over here in the text of it, it says a nationwide rail strike of 230,000 workers in April was ended after one day by a federal back-to-work order that required a cooling-off period, followed by a resumption in the negotiation between management, the major railroads, and the heads of the rail union. Hmm. So, 
I got to tell you, I don't remember I, it either, but it sounds like if I heard that second to last sentence right, this was due to intervention from George Bush, President Bush at the time, maybe? Well, it was the Congress. But bear in mind, at that time, maybe if I could wind the clock back, yeah. we had just defeated uh, Saddam's army right. when they invaded Kuwait. Right. So there was a national euphoria, yeah. and there was also the collapse of the Soviet Union. Right. So I don't know how far down on the scale of importance that the rail strike, being that it only yeah. lasted one day, yeah. that how, how much that caught the nation's attention. Funny it made the because, yearbook, or the world yearbook. It's funny that it made that, isn't it? As a defining yeah, I, event I of the remember. year. Yes. Uh-huh. I, used, but anyway, I, I know so, those yearbooks. We used to have the World Book Encyclopedia would do those yearbooks. Uh, I imagine Funkin' Wagnalls was much the same. But it's amazing that a one-day strike made it into that. Okay, keep going, sir. Go ahead. No, no that, I, it's, but it's just my point. Uh, you know, I don't give a lot of credit to the news media. I'm sure that there are some people that were still there, yeah. were aware of what yeah. had happened back then. But bear in mind, that was a little bit more than 30 years ago. So maybe some of these new and up-and-comers aren't aware of that. But uh, I, I don't know. Sometimes I hear the news media sitting here, you know, it's that gloom and doom. Oh, no, it's going to be, it's going to paralyze. Right. It's going right. to cost billions of dollars. Be afraid. Be very afraid. It's kind of almost the same tactics that they're using to scare us with, like, COVID or any other The environment, COVID. Going up yeah, here. you know what it is almost, <laughs> Mike? You know almost what it is? It's weird. Let me, I'm just thinking as you're talking. Uh, I don't think I've, I've I've had this thought before, but it's almost everything the left tells us is going to be a harbinger for the end of the world isn't, and we end up okay, you know? Um, almost everything that we say and they deny does turn out to be a lot worse than they ever thought it could be. Think, for example, we've certainly talked about the fentanyl thing. How about the gas prices and the taking us off of energy independence? How about that? How about how about our warnings about the spending and the inflation that was going to come as a result? Everything we warn about that they poo-poo actually does turn out to be pretty darn bad. Everything they tell us to worry about turns out to be eh, ho-hum. A fizzle. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, the, you know. Sometimes we're prescient about these things, and it just seems to be that, you know, let's get real on this. Yeah. It, 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 to me, it seems like they're trying to direct us like with a ring in our nose, oh, yeah. and they're not talking about what's really important. You know, there's 300 people a day die from fentanyl yeah. overdoses, but we can sit here and worry about some mass shooting over here that whoever. Hold, but I hold the, the thought. Music. i got to take a break, and if you have more in your tank, uh, so to speak, I'll let you do it, Mike, because uh, just I I can't. I got to take the break and you're welcome to stay. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson show. Six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. Mike's on the line. Uh, thank you for your patience and wait there, Mike. Go ahead, sir. Oh, it's always my pleasure. It's well worth it. You know, as I was sitting here during the break, I was thinking about what I could close up with, and I'd like to turn it to the providence of God. Okay. Why 
at this very time in our American history, and there's all this talk about the doom and gloom and the strike and cost billions of dollars and paralyzed the nation, why was it that I picked up this specific Funkin' Wagnall of <laughs> 1991, 1992, and was going through it? I mean, I could have just set it over here and put it up on the shelf and not gone to it. But why did that happen? So, you know, be brave, America. Don't sit here and fall into the doom and gloom. This has happened before. We were all distracted because of the victory and desert storm and the collapse of the Soviet Union. And I wasn't even aware of I was out of the country on this. You, you this do raise a point April. I was thinking about, though, Mike. You do raise a point I was thinking about. There is um – Speaking of funk and Wagnall, there is a funk going on right now. There is a um, – in our movement, it seems, uh, in the conservative movement, it seems like I'm seeing on social media a lot of people just saying, well, America's last days, da-da-da-da-da, countdown, America's over, that sort of thing. I don't remember us – I don't remember seeing that kind of stuff from our side in a long time, if ever, and I, I don't think it's particularly healthy. I, I don't know if you're noticing the same thing. Well, I don't. I live out in the middle of the sticks and nowhere, and I don't have a computer. I don't have social media. I don't have any of that. And sometimes that's a good thing because I'm in your heart is less troubled. Yes, (laughs) your heart is. There it goes. Yeah, yeah. When when you get overwhelmed by this stuff, just unplug it and turn it off, and uh, go out and enjoy nature. So, but you know, a long, long time ago, oh, I don't know, maybe six months ago. When, when sometimes we get overwhelmed and we think that, oh, my God, it's the end of the world and what are we going to do? And I brought you that story of Alwyn Cash, yeah. E7 yeah. that was awarded yeah. the Congressional yeah. Medal of Honor. Yeah. And then because before that, we were worried about all the doom and gloom yeah. and where's this country going? Yeah. We don't make them like that no more. And you know what, Seth? We still make them like every that every single day. day. Absolutely. Nice, nice way to close the hour, Mike. We still make them every single day. Yeah, let me throw that question out to the audience over the national uh, news break here. Do, do, are you are you sensing more gloom and doom than usual in our movement? Social media, social gatherings, any any other interpersonal interactions? The kind of talk of America's last days are nigh upon us, and that sort of thing. And and isn't it a little much and a little premature and kind of not who we should be? I'd like to know if you're sensing that or if you disagree with me. 602-508-0960. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.